Hello. Hello. Welcome to the SchoolBridge podcast. This is episode two, where we're talking about cooperative learning strategies. I'm Piers. I'm Maggie. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Good. I love summer vacation. Summer. It's July. Oh, it's great. It feels so good. But we got a great episode for you today, talking all about cooperative learning. Yeah. So we broke today into four major chapters, starting just with the basics, what it is, what it isn't, uh, followed by the benefits of it. I'm excited about that one. I kind of geeked out on it the elements of it, and then a bunch of different strategies, some of our favorites that, favorites that we use in the classroom, and then closing out just with things to consider when you're using this in your own room. So as we get started and we talk about cooperative learning, if you Google cooperative learning strategies, you might also see the name Kagan come up, and you'll see Kagan cooperative learning strategies, Kagan structures, mm-hmm. and... They're not synonymous. They don't mean the same things, but they're generally in the same family. Yeah. Dr. Spencer Kagan is just kind of like the OG of collaborative learning and cooperative learning. And so you're right. When you see that, when you Google one or the other, you're going to see the other one pop up. Um, So we'll talk a little bit about some of his techniques later, but yeah, just something to note. They're rowing the same boat. They got the same goals. Yes, absolutely. So let's get into it. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. So starting with what it is what it is in cooperative learning. So it's it's student collaboration. It's thinking about how can kids work together in teams to accomplish a goal. Yes, exactly. So when there's cooperative learning happening, we aren't actually like the main teacher. Students are working together to teach themselves and each other in a way, you'll see this word a lot, is in an interdependent way, right? So they need each other um, when it's set up properly. They need each other in order to get a goal or a learning task accomplished. Right. Like you think about what's the learning that your classroom needs to accomplish for that day. And the way that the kids are going about meeting those goals is by working together, working interdependently. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what it is. And then what it isn't um, is just as important. And it's not just group work. I think that can be kind of a trap that people fall into. It, it can be, but if your students are working in a group, say they're seated in groups of four and you pass out a worksheet for them to accomplish to finish as a group, that's not necessarily cooperative learning because think of all the things that could happen in that structure, right? We all have that one kid who just wants to plow ahead way faster than everyone else, get it done. And then there's another kid who's totally behind That's not cooperative learning, right? right? That's just group work and not great group work, even though it happens to the best of us. We can kind of feel the pressure in our classrooms to break up our lessons, right? It's not all lecture all the time, so we throw in some group work. But yeah, we know what happens when when you give the kids not enough structure when they have group work. Yeah, or our favorite from middle school, right? You give them group work, what are they going to do? They'll be like, all right, I'll do the odd ones. You do the even ones. Exactly. And and then we'll meet in the middle. How can we do the least amount of work? Right. Get it done as quickly as possible. Well, I love when like in groups of four and they'll have 12 questions. Like, yep. all right, I'll do one through three. You do yep. four through six. You know, I always tell them to work smarter, not harder. And sometimes I'm like, oh, why did I say that? Yeah. They're going <laughs> to always find the tricky way out. So that while that might be group work, that's not necessarily cooperative learning, right? It's really that that key piece is that interdependence where they need each other um, and they're doing things without us. Right. Yeah. So that's the first part. That's cooperative learning, what it is, what it isn't. But the benefits of true cooperative learning and all the planning that goes into it, there, there are many, they're good for kids, but 
Like Maggie, lead yeah. us off. What are the benefits of good cooperative learning strategies? There are so many. I could really, really geek out on this. Um, so one of the first ones that comes to my mind is that cooperative learning shifts the cognitive ratio in the classroom. So if you think about like teacher voice and student voice as a ratio, right? Like what percentage of the time do you hear a teacher voice versus what percentage of the time do you hear students talking? It it can be very teacher heavy. Um, and with cooperative learning, it shifts, right? It's students who are talking to each other. They're, they're writing things together. They're doing things really without us. And so there's a lot more student voice, student ownership, um, all that responsibility is put on them instead of us. And it can be really good for them. Yeah, I like to think about it as if you were going to walk into another teacher's classroom and you were going to witness cooperative learning, you would get that kind of buzz, that hum that you hear when yeah. the kids are working together versus the opposite when it's just sage on the stage and it's just lecture and the kids are just sitting there quietly. If somebody walked into your classroom during a cooperative learning exercise, they would you know, they would hear it, they would feel it, there would be that excited buzz when kids are on task and they're accomplishing a goal and they're working together as a team. So I like that ratio. Yeah. It it changes the cognitive ratio so there's more student ownership over the thinking. Yeah, they're doing the heavy lifting, you know, and they're yeah. doing it together. I love what you said because sometimes that happens, right? When you walk into the room and you just get that like like magic buzz. Like oh. that's that's the best when that happens. All right, so in addition to the ratio, one of the other benefits of cooperative learning is it mirrors real life. Like when you're an adult and you're working as a cooperative team or when you have a project and you're on a project team, that's one of the benefits of cooperative learning. It's not the goal. It's not to mimic what it's like as being an adult, but it's to give the kids the skills in the classroom in that safe space so that they can use it when they get older yeah. and they'll know how to work in interdisciplinary teams. Absolutely. It's 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 a skill, right? Like working with other people is a skill. And there are times where we have to work with people we don't know super well. Right. Or we don't get not, on with. Right. Not our besties, you know, and and to not give our kids opportunities to do that in a safe controlled environment, I think does a little bit of a disservice to them. I, I want to stretch them a little bit. Um, and it also, like in terms of mirroring real life, I don't have a teacher right next to me telling me, okay, you planned this part, now go to the next part. You know, I need to figure it out. And I don't always know the answer. Sometimes I go to a coworker, a teammate or whatever, but we need to figure things out sometimes. And I think that's another piece of cooperative learning that can be really good for kids to kind of like soak up. Yeah, it's kind of that, that good kind of pressure that I know somebody's relying on me to get my job done. Mm -hmm. And this is a safe space to learn how to go through that process. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think when we were preparing for this, one of the other aspects of cooperative learning that I was reminded of is how it supports social emotional learning in such a huge way. There are so many different pieces of social skills and SEL that are supported by good cooperative learning. Um, and one of the first that I could think of was grit. Right. You know, I mean. Oh, we all seen the TED Talk. Every teacher's we, seen that TED Talk. Yeah, we if all you know the TED Check talk. it out. <laughs> yeah, we all know about grit. And I think especially, you know, after the pandemic, there's there are certain skills that our kids need 
support with that maybe we used to take for granted. And I do think that grit is one of them, you know? Yeah. When I think we know like as attention spans get shorter and as information is more readily available, we know that grit can go out the window when answers aren't readily available. Yeah. And when you can't get the information right away and when you have to be patient and when you have to wait for somebody to kindly have the think time that they need to come up with their answer or come up with those resources, it gives you those opportunities. Absolutely. And I think it's it's harder to opt out mm-hmm. when you are responsible to your classmates and your peers rather than your teacher, right? There's just a different level of of um, that good pressure, yeah. you know? And, and if people are relying on you, you might be a little more likely to push through and try and get your job done than just saying like, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. It's like a good opportunity for grit knowing that someone else needs me to get this done. Even though I'd love to give up and not actually finish, I know that I need to finish because my group's relying on me. Absolutely. And then another piece of that, well, this one is super connected, is that personal responsibility, right? Is that you know that you have to do this thing because other people are relying on you. And ideally, you're set up for success so that, okay, now I have to do this thing. I do the thing. And then everyone wins. And that feels really good. And that can be like a positive kind of shift, some positive momentum towards increased personal responsibility, you know, and that can just, it's really good when you see kids feeling good because they've done the right thing. I mean, that's, that's like the goal. That's, that's striking gold right there as a teacher. Yeah. It also brings in the, you know, the other benefits that you see with cooperative learning is just learning to work as a team absolutely, and being able to communicate with a team. And a lot of times in the classroom, if a student is struggling on an individual level to communicate their ideas, we step in and we offer support. Yep. But if we're not standing right there, if their classmates, I mean, their classmates can give them support too. Yeah. And Which is a great skill. Right. Yes. If, if I'm having a hard time communicating my ideas to my, my peer group, they can help yeah. bring it out the same way that a teacher would. Yeah. And they can ask for those clarifying questions too. Right. Same way if someone in your group is communicating something and you don't get it, you can politely ask them to, you know, rephrase it or try something else or just say, hang on, I don't totally get it. Can you try it again? Absolutely. And like, regardless of our content, our age level, those are awesome skills. Like if I know that I've, I've played a role in my students being able to communicate with other humans better, that's awesome, you know? All right. So then the last benefit that we saw when we were doing the research for this was non-adult action. Yeah, and I get I kind of hinted at this earlier, but I kept spinning my wheels on this. And again, it's it's cooperative learning prompts kids to accomplish a task and figure something out and do some work without the adult holding their hand. And we'll talk more later about how like obviously we need to to do a lot behind the scenes to set them up for success before they do this. But still in the moment, they don't know that. And they need to kind of figure things out without us feeding them, you know, step by step. And I just think that's really good, like critical thinking and real world. It has a lot of real world application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about with cooperative learning, what it is, what it isn't, and the benefits. All kinds of good things. Now let's, I mean, this is going to be a larger part of the episode here is 
the elements of cooperative learning, some of the structures of cooperative learning, mm -hmm. and then some of our favorite strategies that we use in the classroom. Yeah. So some of these elements and structures are going to, they're going to mirror what we were talking about with the benefits, but there are really five elements that are present in every cooperative learning exercise. Yeah. Like if you have these five things, it is cooperative learning. It's not just that glorified group work. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually a good check to say if you're planning it and if you're observing cooperative learning, does it have these five pieces? So For the sure. five pieces, first one is, is there positive interdependence? Yes. Are they working together as a team to accomplish a task? Is there is there a piece of them relying on each other, right? Like I need you to do this thing and you need me to do this thing in a positive way. It's not a pressured negative, like if you don't do this thing, we fail, right? Right. Like it feels good and there's, there's positive um, momentum. And that can happen in group work where like sometimes there's so much pressure on getting good grades that group members can kind of gang up on each other. Yes. But, but you want to have that safe space where you're working together as a team to accomplish this goal in a productive way. Yeah, so it exactly. starts, it starts with that positive interdependence, but then it, it leads into the second element, which is individual accountability. Mm -hmm. Like I'm responsible for my piece of this puzzle. Exactly. And it's, it's, again, what takes it from group work to cooperative learning, right? Because in group work, like we said, I'm sure we've all taught a kid like this, where they just, they want to get it done. Yep. They want to get it done their way. They want to do it fast. And then they're like, I'm done. I'm bored. Now what? And they kind of steamroll their other group members because yeah. like, they're just trying to get their work done and they want to get as good a grade as they can. Right. And cooperative learning can be really good for those kids because it forces them to slow down a little bit and like, you know, collaborate but yeah that's the second element of of strong cooperative learning is there's a piece of individual accountability for everyone that's involved mm -hmm. yeah and then the third element that's present in cooperative learning is there's true face-to-face -face interaction mm -hmm. and you would think it's school the kids are they have face-to-face -face interactions all the time yeah that sounds kind of simple right but this is you know academic face-to-face -face interaction with people that they might not always hang out with you know absolutely it's not their lunch face-to-face -face interaction it's not their break face-to-face -face interaction and then sometimes at you know schools with more rigid structures there isn't that opportunity for face-to-face -face interaction as much as you'd think yeah right and i think again like you were mentioning uh this when we were kind of brainstorming is again from the pandemic right like some kids during really developmentally vital stages in their lives didn't have very much face-to-face -face interaction. They're stuck at home with their cameras off. I mean, like, we didn't yeah. have very much. Like, uh, I was worried about my social skills. Like, and I'm a grown adult, you know? And so that's just another piece that there... It sounds simple, but there must be face-to-face -face interaction for it to actually be cooperative. Um, and that's just another really good piece that they they benefit from. And they usually enjoy, too. Right. Which leads us into the the fourth element of cooperative learning is... There's interpersonal skills. There's mm -hmm. practicing those interpersonal skills. Yep. Communicating with each other, deep listening. Yes. Like sitting there and obviously wanting to respond. Yep. But practicing listening to your peers so that you can use their information to accomplish your task. Right. Or like soft skills. Sometimes we'll hear them said, right? Yeah. Um, critical thinking and yeah, deep listening. Patience. Patience. Asking clarifying questions yeah. and communicating your ideas yeah patience is a good one patience it's so true 
And then the last element that will kind of check the box on whether or not it's actually cooperative is the group accountability. So we already talked about individual, but you're also accountable as a group, right? So you're sort of invested in the success of the group's task. Um, so you have that individual accountability and the group accountability. So to recap, the the five elements of a good cooperative learning strategy, cooperative learning exercise, cooperative learning structure is there's positive interdependence, there's individual accountability, there's face-to-face -face interaction, there's interpersonal skills being practiced, and finally, the whole group is held accountable for the learning outcome. Perfect. All right. Yeah. So what are some other things that you'll see in good cooperative learning exercises? So it seems this isn't a hard and fast rule, but a lot of cooperative learning techniques tend to have a piece of movement where students are, and we'll talk about this when we get to examples in a second, but students are are moving between groups or to a different spot in the classroom, something like that. Um, and then also an a note catcher or something that they take away. So when the, the learning is done, the cooperation's over, um, there's still something that every kid has that sort of documents their learning that they can keep and take with them. Right. Throughout the whole exercise, there's some place for them to record their notes. Yes. So that they can study when they get home. Yep. And it, that's part of the individual accountability piece. Yeah. It gives the teacher data too. You yeah. know, if you collect these at the end and then give them back later, you can see like, hey, you actually missed a piece of this here. That's a great point. And you can also use that as a really natural way to accommodate or differentiate. If you have a note catcher and a couple kiddos have sentence starters already written on them, right? And you kind of pass those out as mm -hmm. you pass everything else out or they've got a word bank or something. And when we t sorry, and when we talk about movement, we're not saying like they're up and then they're dancing. No, no, but no. They're just not sitting in their desk being passive learners. Yes, great point. Thank you for clarifying that. Like they might be with one partner and then they move to another partner or like four corners we'll talk about in a moment. Right, or they're, um, they're in a table and then they'll stand up when it's their turn to speak. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Some piece of movement, which is, you know, just really engaging and kind of, forces you to to get your brain back in the game if you are daydreaming a little bit. So let's jump into some of our favorite techniques. And some of these techniques are like classic Kagan structures. Yep. Other are, I don't know, you call it Kagan adjacent. Or they're yeah. just good teaching. I, I was thinking some are just excellent teaching that you might not even think of being cooperative learning, but they are. Um, and some are really short and quick and some are bigger, almost like full lesson length activities, you know, but one of my favorite tried and true cooperative learning measures is the think pair share, right? So you, you pose a question and then instead of just calling on someone, you give them all think time. Maybe you even have them jot something down and then they pair up and they, they share their thoughts, right? And they, they listen to the other person's thoughts. And now they're starting to do some metacognition about my thoughts versus that person's thoughts. And then when you come back together and share out, kids share what their partner said. Right. So that's really where you get that accountability and those interpersonal skills of deep listening. And, you know, we have to set them up for success. We don't want to surprise them at the end and say, oh, now tell me what your partner said. That's a gotcha moment. Right. You want to tell them at the beginning before you start, you're going to be sharing what your partner said. So listen really, really carefully, you know, so that it's positive for everybody. I love the thing Pear shared too, because... So often when a teacher asks a question, the first hand that goes up, 
that's the one who gets to answer. And then everyone else gets to opt out. Yep. And I know, I mean, if I'm in a training or professional development session, I like that think time. Yeah. And if it's a think, pair, share, I I know we were all like, I have to turn and talk to my partner. (laughs) But it's good. Like you give the time, like the wait time that you talked about, Mm -hmm. ask the question, use a couple seconds of wait time so that they can think about their answer, Mm -hmm. write it down, and then turn to their neighbor. And you can say, you know, I want the person closest to the door to share out first. Right. And then when I know that one of the teachers is going to ask me, you know, what did your partner say that really stuck out? It's going to help me be a better listener. Absolutely. And then you're going to get more ideas. You know, I mean, it's it's a win-win. And they're, again, that's like another quick thing that I think we do all the time. But when it's done well, that is truly cooperative learning. So beyond the think, pair, share, one of the the aspects of cooperative learning is the group role. Yes. You know, yeah. You might be in groups of two, you might be in groups of four, but as the teacher, when you're setting up these cooperative learning structures, you need to think about what role will the person in the group have? Yeah. And that can be a really easy way actually to shift kind of what we were talking about earlier of like regular group work to make it a little bit more cooperative is to give jobs right? Like roles or jobs. So if you have groups of four and you're doing some sort of group exercise, you know, some examples could be, okay, you're going to be the scribe, right? And they're writing. You're going to be the researcher and they're trying to find, they're they're finding the information to tell the person to yep. write down. Um, and then you're going to be the spokesperson. So when it's all done and we're sharing, you know, you're going to be the one to to share out. And we can divvy up those jobs or we can let them pick. It might depend on your kids. I mean, everyone, you know, you know your kids better than anyone else. But that can be another, that's another like technique that I like to use to shift towards a little bit more cooperation than just group work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the, even, you know, you're the group leader, you know, help them get started. Yeah. You know, let us know when you need help. Yeah. That can be a good way to differentiate for learning styles Mm too. And, I like when you were talking about, you know, the spokesperson, you know, for the extroverted kid who wants to, you know, have that attention. Yes. Give them that job. Give them the spotlight. Right. Give them the spotlight. Yeah. And you got to be careful. It's not like you want to push the introverted student to step out of their comfort zone. You want to set students up for success when you're giving them the job. That's a great point. Who would be the best scribe? Who would be the best researcher? Who would be a great leader? Who would be a great spokesperson? Yeah, that's a great point. So those are two of our favorites. Um, we have a couple more. I love a good jigsaw. Yeah, I love that's, the jigsaw. That's one of my go-tos. I think that takes more preparation, right, than like I think pair share. Um, but it, it, it's it's awesome. So if if you're unfamiliar with a jigsaw, do you want to explain it? Go for it. You okay. have a jigsaw. I love jigsaws. So what you'll do basically is um, it's easiest to think of it in groups of four. So let's just say your kiddos are in groups of four, right? One, two, three, four. And they come together. All the ones come together. All the twos come together. All the threes, all the fours. And they do a task together, all together. So maybe they're learning about predators, prey, habitats and the food chain or something and so they work with their group and they they read an article or they do a task whatever they become an expert on on the predators on the predators right, right? group one is predators they know everything about it yeah okay? group two is prey yep, yep they know everything about prey and once they've collaborated with that group they've worked together to really understand that information 
Then they go back to the group where it's a one, a two, a three, and a four. The original group, you can say. The original group, right. So now in your group, you have someone who learned about predators, one person who learned about prey, one person who learned about habitats, and one person who learned about the food chain. And now they're teaching it to this new group, right? This group that didn't get that information before. So now they're kind of like experts on that topic, you know? And it gives everyone the opportunity to write down those notes in their note catcher. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I love that. That reminds me of one that I like. I think it's called the numbered heads. Yeah. But it's the same. It's a similar idea where if you're in groups of four, everybody has a number, a one, a two, a three, or a four. But a teacher will pose a question and then the whole group will get together and try and come up with an answer. But they know that after they come up with the answer, the teacher's going to pull a popsicle stick or roll a dice or have mm-hmm. a random number. Yeah. And they'll say, okay, now that you've all talked about carrying capacity, right? Yeah. I would like all of the twos to stand up and share what did your group talk about? Yep. And after all of the twos share what they've talked about, then you'll go back together as a group. There'll be another question posed like... How does carrying capacity change when a new predator is introduced? Ooh, so now you're like upping the rigor a you're little bit too. You're upping the rigor. Yeah. You're, you're going back together as a group. Yeah. They're talking about it knowing that someone's going to be held accountable. A teacher rolls a dice. Now it's the fours and the fours stand up. I love that. And it's so the accountability piece is really obvious there because no one knows who's going to get called on. But I think too, the more you do it, they realize like, oh shoot, I need my group because I right. don't know if it's going to be me. So you really spend that time talking to your group and and getting all the information you can from them. Um, like almost, it's, it's, it's urgent, right? Like there's a sense of urgency because you don't know if it's going to be you that gets called on. It reminds me, I like the fishbowl too. Yes. Um, in the fishbowl, think about having, you know, two concentric circles, right? There's an inside circle and an outside circle. Mm-hmm. And... They call it the fishbowl because the inside circle, they're the fish in the tank. Yeah. And then the outside circle, they're observing what's happening in the fishbowl. Exactly. So this can happen, you know, if you have debate prep. Yes. Or if you have some larger discussion questions and you want to encourage one group to to speak their facts and to speak up their, on their opinions. Yeah. And then you have a listening group on the outside. And that can look so many different ways too, right? You could have like four kids in the fishbowl and, you know, 25 kids outside, or you could have 10 kids in the fishbowl, or you could have half and half, but you're right. It's kind of like there's a light on the the folks in the middle and everyone else is listening, probably filling out some sort of um, like feedback form right. or maybe they're crafting questions, right? Again, there's some sort of deliverable for them and that pushes that accountability. Um, that's a great one. Yeah. And a fishbowl can look great. You could, you could pair students up when you could say you're, if you're in the outside circle, your whole job is to just listen to this one person who you're paired up with. Yes. And then afterwards you're going to give them specific feedback on what they did well in an area of growth. I love that. Or the whole outside circle is just writing down the great things that they hear from the inside. And then when the inside circle is done talking, the people on the outside circle will share out. Yeah. And then they switch. Exactly. And then like, it's another everybody wins, right? Because, you know, if you're listening that um, deeply and that intently, you're going to come up with ideas like, oh, I would have said that. Or, oh, I wish he had said that, you know? And then when it's your turn, hopefully it'll be a little bit better. And now the people who have swapped, they're like, 
wow, I could have said that, you know, and they're, they're getting deeper thoughts too. So it, it really pushes everyone's thinking just a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's a great mid-project or Harkness discussion style thing yep. when you want the students to give each other feedback. Yes. And then they can go back and reflect on what they said, the feedback that they had, and then make whatever they're working on better. Exactly. And that, so that reminds me of another one, which is the inside-outside circle. So physically, these can look similar, a fishbowl and an inside-outside circle. But for inside-outside circle, you split your class in half and you, well, you have an inside circle and an outside circle, but they're facing each other, right? So if I'm on the inside, I'm facing someone who's on the outside, right? So it's like two concentric circles. And then you, this is best done when you have a bunch of different questions, discussion questions. So you pose a question. I'm chatting with the person who's across from me, right? We wrap up, we share out, and then you have one of the circles rotate. Um, so you could say, okay, inside circle rotate three spaces, outside circle rotate to the left one space. So you have a whole brand new partner. Uh, the movement piece is really obvious here. It's kind of fun. It's like speed dating. It's kind of like, yeah, I, I call it speed dating with middle school. Yep. They think it's hilarious. Yep. Um, and you're shaking up, a, you have a lot of face-to-face -face interaction, but you're shaking up who they're working with, right? So regardless of who you're talking to, you're practicing all of those interpersonal skills. And then as they're going through the inside and the outside circle, they're taking their note catcher with them yep. and they're either pausing in between speaking to somebody or they'll speak to a few students, pause, and then collect their notes then. Yeah. And it's an easy way, too, to control the discussion a little bit because you can say, okay, inside circle is going to start this time, you know, and then for the next question, outside circle is going to start just so there isn't that awkward silence that you can sometimes right. get. You like the, the four corners, too, don't you? I love four corners. I have permanent signs in the corners of my classroom where they're numbered one, two, three, and four and agree, strongly agree, disagree, strongly disagree. Um, so you can use four corners in... A million different ways so you can pose statements um so the one of the controversial ones that we do when we teach the mongols is you know genghis khan was a good leader right and kids are splattered all over the place and so then they physically move to the corner that aligns with their you know um their thoughts about right, they that. strongly agree they strongly disagree yeah and you know some kids are like strongly disagree he was horrible and they talk with other like-minded people, right? So they get kind of amped about like, yeah, we're right because right. blah, 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 They blah, come blah. up with their evidence, yeah. And then you can pick a spokesperson from each corner, um, which, you know, strongly disagree has to listen to strongly agree. And I encourage them to move if they change their mind. And that's really cool and fun because sometimes someone will make a point and the kid will literally cross the room and go uh -huh. to the other corner. Um, and so there's... There's just a lot of, of listening and collaboration that goes along with that. So those are some of our favorite, you know, structures or strategies, but it doesn't have to have this like prepackaged name to it. Right. Like it can even be, you know, a peer edit with a rubric. Absolutely. Is a cooperative learning strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. When you give the, I mean, I think it's always best and, you know, we're not always this great at teaching, but when you give your kids the rubric up front yes. and they know what they have to do when they're finishing the task or their project. Mm -hmm. But I think anytime they have a project, if they can do a peer evaluation before I have to grade it on the rubric, Absolutely. Not, not only does it give them immediate feedback from you know a partner, um, it gives them a little bit of 
anticipation of what I'm going to say. 100%. And that that's a great point because, yeah, that isn't one of these like cute, catchy phrases, but that is cooperative learning, you know, and then it forces them to read and internalize the rubric, even though maybe you assigned that for homework right. and you know they didn't necessarily do it. And they can <laughs> they can do a peer edit with, with multiple people and, and switch around the room. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then you've got that, you know, that accountability because someone else, someone else, the success of someone else's project is like slightly riding on your feedback, you know? So it's a good pressure. All right. So I'd say we're like three quarters of the way through, right? We've talked about cooperative learning, what it is, what it isn't, yep. the benefits, and then the elements and then the structures. Some of our favorite techniques. Right. But within any type of cooperative learning exercise, there are a couple of things that you need to consider. Yes. Beforehand. Beforehand. And I, I always start with the directions. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. If I'm spending all of this time planning a good cooperative learning exercise, but before I present it to the kids, I'm just going to verbally spew the directions. They're not going to get it. No. And you'd hate for all that amazing planning to not work because your directions are bad. Right. That's heartbreaking. (laughs) Like concrete directions that are written, that are clearly displayed so that after you explain the cooperative learning exercise, when the kids get a little lost, they can they can easily reference what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I'd say simple directions. I always try to start each numbered directions, right? First do this, second do this. I really try to start them with a verb. Um, it just kind of forces action and check for understanding. Yep, right? after you give the directions, check for understanding. So try to remove any room for error. Of course there's room for error, but remove as much as you can before the activity starts by having just like waterproof directions. It, it also kind of forces your economy of language. Like how can you write your directions so that you don't need more than three directions? Yep. Or like five tops. Three to five. Three to five. Depends on your age group. Yeah. But, but they've got to be displayed. Yes. And they yes, can be simple. displayed, sorry, on the, on like the overhead or yep. they can be displayed on their note catcher. Yeah, or both. <laughs> and then especially in the early parts of the year with the first time you're going through these structures the kids will struggle mm-hmm. and give them the feedback but the the better you can be with planning those directions later in the year they'll get it like we're doing a fishbowl they should be pretty solid with the think pair share right oh yeah by by april may some of these things you can just say okay we're going to do an inside outside circle and boom they can do it they got it but not in august no not in september you know um i think another one i think of in terms of kind of anticipating before you do this, it's just the general dynamics of your class, right? your kids, each, you know, if you have multiple blocks, if you're like, you know, middle or upper, each block can be super different. And so thinking of the dynamics of your class as one class going to need more support than the other, are there pairings or groupings that you need to avoid, right? Do you need to make your groups ahead of time? Just being very thoughtful, again, I firmly believe any group of kids can do cooperative learning, but sometimes we need to put in more work behind the scenes to set them up to be able to do that learning. Yeah. Yeah. The kids will do their best to charm you into saying, can we please choose our groups? Oh, they love that. And sometimes it's okay. Yeah. But if you are really spending all of this time planning a high quality cooperative learning exercise, you should think about your groups. Yeah. Maybe it's a heterogeneous group. Maybe it's a homogenous group, but do the group thinking. And when you're giving the jobs, 
give the jobs that are going to suit the strengths of your students. Absolutely. We can feel the pressure to say, you know, I want to have a well-rounded student, but give your extroverted kids extroverted tasks and support your introverted kids with areas that they can thrive in. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, we, of course, you're right. We do want to support all kids learning all skills, but I also don't want to do things that are unnecessary. And if, if I know a student struggles with anxiety and public speaking, I'm not going to give them the spokesperson unless we've talked about that. And they're like, I really want to try this challenge. That's different. But right. yeah, just be mindful of your, your classes, of yeah. your kids. And be mindful of the age and the development and the right. time span of your lesson. Exactly. Yeah. Time span of your lesson, attention span of your age group. Right. Um, you can't do four corners for an hour. No, oh, no. you know, like you, like if they have a fishbowl and you are deliberately listening to what's happening on the inside of the circle, you want to make sure that it it's only a few minutes long Yes. so that they can give high quality feedback and they're not starting to drop off. Exactly. Or if you have one block that's super chatty and another block that's not, you might want to like, again, I'm thinking of four corners you might have maybe three statements for your super chatty group and six for your quiet group because you, know, you need to fill the same amount of time. Yep. You know, and that's another piece of other things to consider is just just planning ahead, right? Like really kind of envisioning this. Are there materials you need? Do you need to put up signs in the corners? Do you need note catchers printed? Um, do you need to make your groups? How much time you have? Really just kind of just that good teaching practice of like what do I need before any of this starts so that once it starts, I can just, we can just go. Yeah. Try and predict those issues that are going to come up. Yes. And just know that the, I guess the more unique the cooperative learning exercise or the more, the newer it is for your class, Mm -hmm. the first time is going to be difficult. Yeah. But don't try a, you know, a nice cooperative learning exercise and if it doesn't go well, don't give up on it. Right. But the first time you plan it, you're going to spend more time planning it than than you really want to for sure and you're right it might be messy and another thing to try to anticipate like do your kids tend to get frustrated easily you know what can you do as soon as they get frustrated because we don't want to just throw in the towel and give them the answer we want to try and promote that grit and promote those skills you know so can you in the back of your mind you know they're going to get frustrated and you already have like a little hint you're going to give them Right. You know, and just kind of anticipating those issues. And back to your point, you might want to break it down with your class afterwards, depending on your age level and your comfort with it and say, okay, this part was awesome. We did did really well with this, this, and this, this part, what do you think we could do differently? You know, you can like push reflection on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I've heard you say before is, you know, take a step back, support them, but don't solve the issues for them. Right. Otherwise it can some of the things we want them to accomplish can go away. Right. And just know that cooperative learning, it takes patience, but the it's great. Like it's great for the kids. It builds all types of interpersonal character development that you want to have at these young ages. Yeah. And it, it, it looks great. You know, it feels great. And it ups the likelihood of like 100% of your kids actually thinking about your content. Right. It makes it way more likely that everyone in your room is actually cognitively engaged with the topic at hand. And that's that's ultimately what we want. Right. We want all of our kids to learn 
all of the things, you know? Right. And so more the, the more often we can employ some cooperative learning strategies, the more likely that is to happen in addition to everything you just said of, you know, all those other wonderful soft skills that they get. I like that you said something too about reflecting on the exercise. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, you know, if everybody has their note catcher, a quick way to support the kids at the end and to reflect is to just do a show call Love and that. say, all right, when we look at our note catcher, let's take a look at, let's take a look at this students right here. I'm going to yeah. put it on the overhead. Did everyone get this? Who had something great here? Who had something great there? Who yeah. wants to shout out one of their partners for something great that they did? But when you reflect on what you did well, it does make the next time you do the cooperative learning exercise go that much smoother. I love that. That's a great point. It's a good, really good way to close out the lesson or the activity too. You're making me think, man, if you got your observation coming up, Ooh. throw in some cooperative learning, Ooh. but not the first time they've done it. No, do it first. Do it first. <laughs> do it first a couple times. Do it first, right? Oh my gosh. If you're getting that April <laughs> observation. But he's like, yeah, we do cooperative learning all the time. Do a couple jigsaws yeah. before the observation lesson. <laughs> all right. You have anything else to add? No, it makes me think, you know, I'm excited to get to planning. I know. It makes me excited to like nerd out on this stuff. Well, thank you for listening to School Bridge. <laughs>